Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Tonight on The Readout... The chilling sounds of January 6th. Where's Nancy? Happening again. Not in the people's house this time, but in Speaker Pelosi's own house. Her husband, Paul, brutally beaten with a hammer by a maniac with a reported history of posting extreme right-wing memes and conspiracy theories on social media. Meanwhile, Elon Musk is getting ready to re-inject those dark online forces back into the veins of Twitter which he now completely controls. And we begin tonight with a shocking development in the political extremism that has loomed over the midterms. Early this morning, an assailant attacked Paul Pelosi, the husband of Speaker Nancy Pelosi, at the couple's home in California. Mr. Pelosi, who was home alone, was hit in the head with a hammer multiple times. The assailant was reported to have shouted, where is Nancy? Where is Nancy? During the attack, according to a family member traveling with Speaker Pelosi today. The assailant told Pelosi, Paul Pelosi, that he was going to tie him up until, quote, Nancy got home. The incident has restoked fears of the rising tide of outright political violence that we're seeing in this country, where masked and armed individuals dressed in tactical gear stake out ballot drop boxes, where election workers face harassment and death threats, and where, apparently, political disagreement resulted in a foiled domestic terror plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Violent threats against politicians are at a record high. In the first quarter of 2022 alone, Capitol Police opened more than 1,800 cases. A tragic reminder that the insurrection didn't go away. It never ended. In fact, it's as if the attacker in San Francisco was seeking to finish the job of those who attacked the Capitol and who stormed those buildings, calling out her name, screaming obscenities, and making it abundantly clear that besides the vice president, Speaker Pelosi was the other main target they had come to hunt. Prosecutors say the most graphic statement uttered by any rioter that day was about Speaker Pelosi. The statement being, quote, we were looking for Nancy to shoot her in the freaking brain. Well, they didn't find her. Instead, they ransacked her office. Pelosi later detailed the trauma that her staff endured to 60 Minutes. The staff went under the table, barricaded the door, turned out the lights and were silent in the dark under the table, under this the whole table time. for two and a half hours. Dangers like that have struck even closer now at the speaker's personal home. Mr. Pelosi underwent successful surgery to repair a skull fracture and serious injuries to his right arm and hands. His doctors expect a full recovery, 
But Speaker Pelosi, who Republicans have four decades turned into a hate object, is once again a target. And she will remain one because a faction of Americans have decided, screw elections, forget democracy. They're going to take this country by force. Whether you call it domestic terrorism or a surge in partisan violence or the rumblings of a demographic and religion-based civil war, these threats, this determination is popping up everywhere to the point where just 11 days before a crucial midterm election, violence against the House Speaker is what we have to talk about tonight. It is an extraordinary assault on the promise of America. And yet, some Republican leaders, like the classless book-banning governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, chose to make fun of it. Listen, Speaker Pelosi's husband, uh, they had a break-in last night in their house, and he was assaulted. There's no room for violence anywhere, but we're going to send her back to be with him in California. That's what we're going to go do. California Governor Gavin Newsom called Youngkin's comments pathetic, while also saying in a statement, this heinous assault is yet another example of the dangerous consequences of the divisive and hateful rhetoric that is putting lives at risk and undermining our very democracy and democratic institutions. Those who are using their platforms to incite violence must be held to account. Joining me now is Congressman Eric Swalwell of California and former FBI official Frank Figluzzi, MSNBC national security analyst. I do want to go to you first, Congress, Congressman, because the threats against lawmakers have skyrocketed. And January 6th seems to have only made it worse, um, up 144 percent from 2017 when Donald Trump was inaugurated to 2021. Um, it's, it's, it's become almost epidemic. You yourself have faced them. What do you make of what's going on in California? Yeah, it was always inevitable. So what went Joy, on? That I should say what went on. Sorry. That's a yeah, it was always inevitable this was going to happen, and that's so sad. I just want to first wish uh, Paul Pelosi a swift recovery. And for your viewers to know, uh, you know, that this man is a generous, kind, charitable soul, uh, someone who loves his wife dearly and his children. But I remember uh, talking to Paul on January 6th, uh, once we were allowed back into the Capitol, and I went to the Speaker's office to see how the staff were doing, and I saw Paul consoling the staff uh, because he was at the Capitol uh, as this all had gone down. And he's such a sweet and kind man. And, and so for this to happen to him, as inevitable as it was, uh, it's still uh, something we can never accept. But these threats are on the rise. And I have to tell you, we have to draw the straight line between what is happening on the ground as these threats become centralized to decentralized from January 6th to spread out across the country. The straight line of Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, others in the MAGA Republican Party who glorify violence and their leader, Kevin McCarthy, who says nothing about it and does nothing to stop it. If that's the environment he's going to create, it's a green light to every assailant out there to use violence rather than voting to carry out your political will. Let me just play that. You mentioned the staff. This was an interview that I did with uh, Speaker Pelosi, um, and, and that was the first time I met Paul Pelosi. He is a very nice man. Um, and this is back in January of 2021. Now, I don't know if you've been able to see the, the video um, in which you can hear people screaming your name. Yeah. Where's Nancy? Looking for you, yeah, with, hunting you. Yeah. When you I, I don't even know how I would react to that. How do you react to that, how personal it was toward you? Well, I, I was actually more thinking about my staff and my colleagues who don't have the protection that I have. 
I'm going to do back to you for a second, Congressman Swalwell. The staff members, these are young, young people that experience this violence. The speaker was concerned about her staff. She was hiding, too. She was the target. But I think people forget that this is metastas, metastatic violence that is impacting everyone and every member of Congress. And again, you face these. You've gotten these death threats yourself. Yeah, Joy, uh, today, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York uh, received a guilty plea from someone who had threatened me my staff and my family, and, and there's other cases that are ongoing. But our family and our staff, they sit or live on the X, so to speak. You know, members of Congress, like the Speaker, like myself, we're constantly in motion. We're in our districts. We're across the country helping other uh, colleagues. Uh, we're overseas, you know, fulfilling our committee assignment work. It's our staff who sit like sitting ducks at the office, and it's our family members who are most often and regularly at the residence. And, and so, you know, my wife, naturally today said, like, what are we going to do now? Like, it's clear that it, it doesn't matter if you're here or not. They're going to come for the family. And, and we just cannot be a country where, as I said, violence is preferred over voting. You know, and Frank, let me bring you in here because this, I think this terrified any, anyone who's in Congress. It must terrify anyone who's a public figure who's been a hate object made by the right. I mean, I, I just want to show you just a scroll of what Republicans have turned, you know, showing themselves armed into a campaign strategy, essentially making it sound as if the way to defeat wokeism and liberalism is to essentially become a warlord, to arm yourself, to hurt someone. That has become a, a meme inside the Republican Party. And to the congressman's point, the leadership of that party has not tried to tamp this down. Whatever statements they're trying to make today, they've encouraged it as a political strategy. And now election workers are, are at risk. They're having to get uh, panic buttons just for election workers who get paid almost nothing to do election work. We're at a point now where our politics has become, at least for Republicans, civil war. This is not sustainable. Your thoughts? This is what happens, Joy, when you demonize the other, when you take their humanity away, you make violence not only possible, but likely. Th that's where we are. And the, the GOP members who've come out today and offered uh, support and good wishes for Mr. Pelosi can't do that kind of thing on a Friday and then come back on Monday and do the same thing again that they've been doing, which is incite, inflame um, encourage the kind of violent act we saw happen today in San Francisco. It's why the DHS and FBI just today issued a brand new joint intelligence bulletin where they've warned all of us, especially state and local law enforcement, that the midterm elections could bring more violence. They speak uh, repeatedly about an, the rise of domestic violence extremism, and it is about as broad a warning as you can see because it includes Almost everybody, including you and me as voters, going to polling places. It says those places are vulnerable. It talks about candidates who are very exposed and accessible. It talks about lawmakers. It talks about all the various affinity groups and, and the issues that are inflaming people today. So we're, we're put on notice as if we needed that notice that even our highest level of government is now extremely concerned about the next few weeks that we're already in, into. And in, in, in given that, you know, and I think a lot of people have been asking themselves this question, Frank, after nine, after January 6th, when Speaker Pelosi was the other named person that they were hunting, they were hunting Mike Pence and Speaker Pelosi. 
Can you understand why her security wasn't doubled? Not just we don't know what her security is like. I'm sure she has a full security detail in D.C., but her home as well. As easy it is for people to find out where lawmakers live. She is third in line to the presidency. It, it, God forbid anything happen. How is she and her family not better protected? This sounded like a kidnapping plot, a potential kidnapping plot involving the assault on her husband. Yeah, right after the vice president, she's next in line for the presidency. And yes, indeed, she has a robust Capitol Police security detail wherever she goes. But as you say, when she's not president in her home, we've learned today that kind of security is not there. In fact, you know, there's been reporting on multiple outlets that uh, Mr. Pelosi himself had to dial 911 and keep that line open while this incident was occurring. Kudos to him um, for that. But where was the alarm system not notifying the police? What what was that about? And yes, indeed, the Capitol Police are stretched to the max. We learned that through an IG report, through the committee. They're understaffed, underfunded. They're, they're increasingly traveling with security details across the country as lawmakers return to their home districts. But they need more. They need more. And now they need to partner like never before with local FBI, state and county police officials as well. And, and Congressman, you know, if Republicans were in charge of the House, I can't imagine Kevin McCarthy having the leeway with all of those insurrectionists that he'd have to answer to and that he would essentially be enslaved to backing the fu the funding to get her more security. She's still going to be. It's not as if Speaker Pelosi is, you know, if she's minority leader, Pelosi will be less of a target. She's been a target for a decade. She's been a hate object for more than a decade. She would still be at risk. I think Americans should be concerned about handing the House over to people who are suborning this stuff rather than trying to stop it. And then they would be in charge. Kevin McCarthy would get to decide if she could get increased security in the next term. Uh, that scares me. Does that frighten you? And is there any chance that she would be able to get enhanced security? It's terrifying, Joy, because uh, I, I know and I've been in rooms where members have brought up issues around security and Speaker Pelosi has been the biggest advocate and she's the first to say, uh, as you saw in that interview, she has a large security presence around her. She worries about the staff and the members and she's always fought, you know, to expand that funding. And, and Republicans have actually voted against uh, Capitol Police funding as we've tried to expand it. And the Senate hasn't given us a vote uh, on that uh, yet either because they need, you know, 10 more uh, Republican senators who won't come around. So if Kevin McCarthy is the leader. Uh, yes, not only does the January 6th commission go away and, and they're looking at political violence, uh, not only uh, would I fear that the protective details for members who are at most risk would go away, I also just fear that, you know, the fish rots from the head down. And, and if Kevin McCarthy is condoning these attacks, you're going to have an emboldened body in the new Republican conference uh, that thinks that they can continue to glorify violence as a means to carry out a political will. And, and, and that's why it's all on the line, not just personal freedoms for women, paycheck freedom, social security. It's are we a country where we carry out the voters will at the ballot box uh, or do we do it uh, with the bayonet?
It, it's thugocracy. And I have a final word to you, um, Frank Ferluzzi. A lot of people, I think, right now are scared. Um, they're afraid about this election. They're afraid to go to the polls. They're afraid that there's going to be an armed, you know, gang of people watching them if they just go to drop off their ballot. People are scared. And if the Speaker of the House is not safe, if her husband and her family are not safe, it's hard for anybody to feel safe, honestly. What can be done? What should people be thinking about as they go toward this election? That it, it honestly, I think the congressman is right. It's a difference between whether we're going to be a democracy or a country of warlords where people seize power at the end of a gun or at the end of a hammer. So we, we all have a choice to make. And the choice is to live in fear and succumb to exactly what those who instill fear want, which is for all of us not to show up at, at, and vote, or we can see this for what it is, and we can make a difference by casting the vote in a, in a safest way as our state or county allows. Um, it's the good news in that this alert was issued today by the federal government telling state, local, county officials, get your act together, hunker down, and get out there and protect the voting places. So that's out there. The presence is there. I've seen it even in my locality. And I think that's a good and reassuring uh, piece of information. And if you have the, the ability to mail in, if you have the ability to use the Dropbox, um, do it. Do it safely. Uh, yep. Do it when you feel it's comfortable, but do it. Uh, amen. Amen. Don't let these people win. We are not going to be governed by thugs. Vote, vote and vote. That is your best revenge. Congressman, Eric Swalwell, Frank Figluzzi, thank you both very much. Up next on The Readout, the radicalization on social media and the persistent right-wing hatred for Speaker Pelosi, which Elon Musk will more than likely do nothing about, if not making it worse. The Readout continues after this. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. The radicalization in this country is largely taking place online and on social media. Now, one of the biggest social media platforms is under the control of Elon Musk, a man who loves Russian dictator Vladimir Putin and who likely will replatform Donald Trump. Musk's Twitter takeover has already sparked a full-scale return of unchecked misogyny, racism, and anti-Semitism to the platform. The far right swept onto the platform this morning, seemingly just to post the N-word repeatedly and to hurl anti-Semitic insults. This comes the same day Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband was brutally attacked at their San Francisco home when an assailant broke in yelling, where's Nancy? Just like the January 6th insurrectionist. Now, if you were to look at the attacker's social media footprint, you'd see signs of that very radicalization just littering the place. 
with various memes and conspiracy theories about COVID-19 vaccines, global warming, Jewish people, and QAnon fan fiction like the supposed cover-up of mass pedophilia rings and, surprise, surprise, conspiracy theories about the 2020 election and January 6th. It's almost like his brain was constructed like Legos by right-wing media and their pet politicians. Joining me now is NBC's senior reporter, Ben Collins, who covers disinformation in the dark web. And let's just get right to this this uh, attacker. Um, thank you for being here, Ben. I'm just going to put up a few of the things. You know, I talked about it. Global warming, Jewish people, transhumanism, COVID-19 vaccines. It, it, is, it is not at all surprising that this was the background. But do we get anything else uh, of motive from the stuff that he put up? Or was there anything I- indicating that he might be violent? Yeah, I just want to be clear. We can't ascribe motive. The police are still looking through this thing. Um, but these blogs that the police are looking through here talk constantly about, you know, this cabal, basically, that we have heard so much about on the far right internet. And the far right internet has effectively placed Nancy Pelosi at the top of that cabal recently. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's not Joe Biden to them. I think they think he's not really with it enough. So they have to put somebody else there. So they've chosen a woman and that woman is Nancy Pelosi. Um, And that's what's going on in these forums. So it makes a lot of sense that uh, that's where this person would end up. And I do want to bring up the transhumanism thing, too. Uh, A lot of people don't even know what that is, and they shouldn't because it's insane, but it's all over uh, the far right internet. There's this belief that um, eventually they were trying to uh, dehumanize us by either turning us into robots or, uh, you know, injecting us with stuff through the vaccine. And uh, the point of it is to make it so we're more acceptable to, uh, to, uh, leaders so we can be more dehumanized. That, and they think trans people are part of this plan. It's completely ridiculous, but it's also a vertical on Breitbart. So um, this is all over the almost you know regular parts of the conservative internet, and the extremist parts are even more all in on it. You know, I expect it to be on Tucker soon because it seems like whatever's on 4chan and 8chan ends up on there some. Because the problem is there's no, there doesn't seem to be a right-wing medium that's saying this is a bridge too far. We're not going to go here, right? It's all fair game. You know, it used to be that QAnon seemed loopy and then all of a sudden aspects of it are now in sort of normal, what used to be normal Republican politics. You have Donald Trump now basically signaling to QAnon. It, it, it seems incredibly dangerous, which brings me to Elon Musk, who, who will probably let Trump back on and Trump will pretend like he doesn't want to and then get back on. But, you know, just today, this was day one of Elon Musk Twitter, and it was already a garbage fire of racism, people just doing the N-word over and over and over again, people saying things about Jewish people. This is like back to the bad old days of Twitter, and that was fast. You've been pretty pessimistic about where this goes from here, but, you know, here's all the, the panoply of people who could get back on. Alex Jones, Mike Lindell, Steve Bannon, Marjorie Green. Well, she's going to sue be ex-Mrs. Green, Michael Flynn, Roger Stone. Like, the whole gang might be back on, right? Soon. Oh, yeah. I would assume, uh, you know, pretty soon that will happen. He talked today about establishing a council to go through why people were uh, why people were booted off. They're allowed back on. No idea who's going to be in that council. But then he said later on, you know, if you were kicked off for frivolous reasons, for stupid reasons, we'll just let you back on. Well, what's a frivolous reason to Elon Musk? I really don't know. And part of the reason, I, you know, the issue is this guy doesn't understand the space or he's willfully ignorant to the space. Right. Um, the reason that, for example, instances of the N-word were up, you know, hundreds of percentage points today on Twitter 
is because that was pushed from uh, 4chan and a bunch of like challenges on those far right spaces to just see what you could get away with, to see if you know it wasn't just the anti the anti trans stuff that was allowed again. If you could say everything else, every other kind of hate, and they've largely gotten away with it over the course of the day. So I don't know what the site's going to look like. Obviously, day one is not pretty, um, but uh, it's either what we've seen so far is either malice or uh, grave incompetence. And the thing is, is it's not just that it's a dumpster fire. It's also the disinformation, because I would expect that you're going to get more disinformation about vaccines, more of this. And that's the kind of stuff that was fueling this guy that attacked Speaker Pelosi. So if that stuff gets platformed on something as big as Twitter, doesn't that seem pretty dangerous? Yeah, it's it's not just the one guy, by the way. Right. Joy, like it's not just, you know, you can't bring up Pizzagate or something. It's that Pizzagate's trending at number one on Twitter, forcing, you know, the Gateway Pundit or uh, these far-right websites to write about it and try to legitimize them to their audience because they realize there's an audience there that they have a, you know, give. it's like a feedback loop. They have to give more of their audience to this perceived audience on Twitter, which can be saturated with bots or people trying to uh, amplify something before an election. Um, this is standard... Uh, disinformation warfare stuff that was pushed initially by the Russians, as we know, and other, uh, and the Chinese as well, um, other adversarial governments. But it's been picked up by regular political movements all throughout the United States. Um, so that's the worry: is that we are, if if the guardrails are off, we're not going to have a regular conversation about anything. We're just going to be beating back against the tide of intentional nonsense. And know that the people who are pushing that stuff are going to vote. So the question is, is the other side going to vote? Because those people who believe all of this stuff and think there's transhumans and things, oh, they're going to vote. Ben Collins, thank you very much for being here. Up next, the Avengers. The Avengers are pretty good at defending us against threats from outer space. But our next guest excels at defending American democracy. And boy, do we need heroes like him now more than ever. We'll be right back. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest-cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk, text, and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon in May 2023. President Biden is in the White House thanks in large part to low-income voters who typically vote at the lowest rate of any voters. But of the nearly 160 million people who voted in 2020, more than a quarter were low-income. And they broke for Biden in key swing states. A majority of voters across the country and across party lines expressed support for things like expanded health care, living wages and a fair tax system. 
Once in office, Biden made good on many of the promises that he made to these folks on the campaign trail. First, he signed the American Rescue Plan, which helped expand a child tax credit, which reduced child hunger and child poverty by 24 percent for nearly 61 million American families. Well, that didn't last very long since Republicans refused to renew it, which ultimately plunged nearly four million children back into poverty. That same rescue plan sent $1,400 STEMI checks directly to Americans, helping nearly 15 million people out of poverty. And it continues to send money to Americans since it set up, it set up states so that they could pad their budgets, which allows for many more low-income Americans to receive inflation relief checks to this very day. Then there's the recently announced program that would provide up to 40 million student loan borrowers with as much as $20,000 in debt relief, which again is being stymied by Republicans who don't think you deserve it. But there are organizations across this country who are fighting to make sure that lower income voters can fight for their priorities by boosting turnout and countering voter suppression. They include tonight's democracy defender, Bishop William Barber, the co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, who led a coalition of groups that trained hundreds of poll monitors in 10 states. And today, Bishop Barber launched a new initiative to register and mobilize low-wealth voters with a coalition of organizations, including the League of Women Voters, Planned Parenthood, and Black Voters Matter. It's called Register, Resist, Reclaim. And Bishop William Barber joins me now. And Bishop, always great to see you. Tell me what Register, Resist, Reclaim is looking to do and where are you looking to do it? Well, you can go to www.vote411.org, register, resist, reclaim. We're saying to poor and low-wage, low-wealth voters that you must mobilize. You cannot merely mourn over what has happened. We're trying to make sure that people understand that in every state where the margin of victory was within 3%, poor and low-wealth voters make up over 40% of the vote. In states like Florida, only 4% of poor and low-wealth voters that didn't vote the last time, if they voted, they could outdistance any margin of victory. 7% in Georgia, 19% North Carolina, 4% in Pennsylvania, 1% in Michigan, 4% in Florida. So we have power. And we're doing this on top of the Poor People's Campaign effort that followed our mass meeting in June called If You Ever Needed to Vote for Democracy and Justice, You Need to Vote Now, where we're reaching 5 million voters. We've been working for now four months. 5 million poor and low-wealth voters who have not voted, but when they tended to vote, they voted for an agenda around living wages and health care. They voted for the things that matter in lifting up all Americans. And that's the reason that voter suppression normally targets poor, poor and low wealth voters, right? Because it is lower wealth voters who tend to use things like drop boxes. The war against that is about not letting them vote, because as you said, when lower wealth people vote, they tend to vote for things that will help them and help people like them. But what do you say to people who go, who, who, who tell you, who might tell you, who sometimes tell me, my vote won't count. It won't change anything. Well, you're right. If you don't use it, it won't count. It won't change anything. But if you use it, the, the, the reality is now there is so much power among poor and low-wealth voters. Poor and low-wealth voters now represent in battleground states over 40 percent, in regular states over 30 percent. We have races across this country in that are decided by 400 votes, like in North Carolina, the chief justice race some years a year ago, uh, the governor's race, 10,000 votes. When Obama ran in 2008, he lost lost on election day, but he won during same-day registration and early voting and won by 14,000 votes. Listen, 
if you have a, in North Carolina, there are over a million poor and low wealth voters, for instance, who did not vote in the last election. The race for presidency was decided uh, for, with less than 170,000 votes. If just 19 percent of those persons would vote, they could have closed that distance. And so what we're trying to do is get the truth out there. A lot of voters, poor and low wealth voters, have not voted, Joe, because they say nobody talks to them. So we're talking to mm-hmm. them. We're reaching them. We're saying not don't just vote to support, vote as a demand. I vote now because I'm going to demand living wages. I vote now because I'm going to demand health care. I vote now because I see people who want to turn back the clock in many, many ways in, in, in rights for workers, in health care, in voting rights. And that's not the America that we want. And guess what? There comes a time when you have power, but you have to use that power. And we're sending excitement across the country where people are saying, you know what? It's high time that we use it. The Southern strategy of George said they were going to polarize us and separate us. Well, the plan was 50, 60 years ago to polarize and separate us. We can have a plan to unify and empower us. And that plan is right now. Go to www.vote411.org. Go to the Poor People's uh, Campaign website. Look, it's on, and we got to work hard. In Georgia, 49% of Georgians are poor and low wealth. That's 4.9 residents, 47% in North Carolina. That's power, 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 power that we have to use. And I hope that as I see President Obama and others moving, I hope they'll come through North Carolina too. I hope that people will talk about poor and low wealth voters. I hope that they will just talk about the gen. You know, you don't even have to talk partisan. Just talk about what's at stake in this democracy. Absolutely. And, and and to make the point, just to put a finer point on it, when Bishop Barber is talking about poor and low wealth voters, he's not just talking about black voters. He's talking about black, no, white, no, 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 Asian, no, no, no. American, Latino, all voters of all races. <laughs> that That's the whole idea. It's a coalition. It's a coalition. In fact, uh, in fact, 140 million voters in this country are poor and low wealth, Joy. Real quickly, 26 million are black. That's 60.9 percent of black people. Uh, 66 million are white. That's a little bit over 30 percent of, of white people, 68 percent of Latinos. We're talking about that coalition that Martin Luther King dreamed of, of masses of poor black Amen. folk, poor white folk, poor Latinos coming together and using their power. Absolutely. Democracy defender Bishop William Barber. Thank you very much, my friend. Much appreciated. All right. Well, who won the week is still ahead. Somebody did win the week. But first, coming soon to a rally stage near you, President Obama hits the campaign trail as we head into the home stretch before the midterm elections. That and more next on The Readout. Eleven days out from the midterm elections and Democrats are bringing in some major star power. Former President Barack Obama is about to take the stage in Atlanta, Georgia, where he's rallying with candidate for Governor Stacey Abrams and Senator Raphael Warnock. More than 1.3 million Georgians have already cast their ballots. President Obama's trip to Georgia is one of many stops in the coming days. Tomorrow, he heads to Detroit, Michigan to campaign with Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Milwaukee, Wisconsin to support Governor Tony Evers and Democratic Senate candidate Mandela Barnes. Next Tuesday, he'll be in Las Vegas, Nevada, campaigning with Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto and Governor Steve Sisolak. Joining me now is Aaron Haynes, editor-at-large for the 19th and an MSNBC political contributor, and Simon Rosenberg, Democratic strategist and president of the New Democrat Network. Thank you both for being here. Aaron, what's the significance of Obama uh, putting his star power, particularly in Georgia? In Georgia. Yeah. Uh, well, hi. Uh, vote, everybody. Go Phillies. OK, now that we've gotten that out of the way. Uh, I mean, look, <laughs> How dare you? We had to handle business. 
but look, um, former President Obama is is is. I mean, this is one of his few midterm campaign stops, right? I mean, he is still a hugely popular surrogate, and while he was definitely in demand this cycle, he has a pretty limited calendar. I mean, you pointed out Nevada, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Georgia. I think it's notable that he's not going to places like Florida or North Carolina where black women are competitive in Senate races, right? Remember that there are no black women U.S. senators. Mm. But he is going to Georgia uh, in this rally to boost uh, Raphael Warnock in his tight race against Herschel Walker and Stacey Abrams, who appears to be trailing the incumbent governor, Brian Kemp. And and I mean, honestly, this is a rally that kind of came right on time for Democrats after Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer told President Biden uh, that the Georgia Senate race is, you know, going downhill, which was unhelpful to say the least. I would think. Uh, but, but you know, uh, to win, whether that's in a November 8th uh, contest or in a runoff, Democrats are going to have to overperform in Georgia. And, and that includes black voters. So having uh, Barack Obama, really one of the most popular, if not the most popular surrogate that, that the party has, uh, could could be the final push that, that uh, Democrats need in that state, uh, really tapping the party's most loyal and consistent voters, as well as br- helping to broaden that coalition that, that they're going to need to get across the finish line. Yeah, I'm also surprised they didn't go to Ohio. They're not, they, they don't want to help Tim Ryan at all. And he is viable. Like, he's running a really good campaign. And they ain't going there either. North Carolina seems viable. It's weird, the calendar. But you, you mentioned Chuck Schumer. So let's just play what he said. This was his hot mic moment uh, talking about the Georgia race. Yes, Simon, it is hard to believe because the early voting numbers say the opposite. I know Democrats are always, yeah. always negative. It's, it's what they do. They always think they're losing. It's what they do. But th- yeah. that seems like a completely out of reality con- comment to make. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that what they're saying now is that was taken out of context and that he was saying downhill, meaning that it's easier than the other places. And, and, and in fact, the polling and the early votes suggest that's true. I mean, I think, look, Democrats should feel good right now. This is a clearly very close election. Polling was much better for us this week than it was last week. The early vote is looking really, really strong. We should be very optimistic about the early vote, particularly in really important states like Georgia and Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, Nevada got much better in the last couple of days. And so I think, you know, this and I think Barack Obama hitting the campaign trail is really going to energize a lot of people. So it's a close race and we just got to leave it all in the playing field and do what we can. Joy. Does it does this strike you as strange that uh, his calendar doesn't include North Carolina and Florida? There are two, you know, these yeah. are that you talk about a base candidate, two black women running, and yeah. one of them having been a state is a statewide elected official now. She was the former Supreme Court justice, or was the Supreme Court justice. Well, he's got another week, right? So they're only going through Tuesday. He's got one more week, and let's encourage Brock to get out there and hit some more states. I think the more states he yeah. hits, the better we'll do. And so I think he's got time, and I think he would. I, look, I think he's going to make a difference. I think he's he will help people get fired up, ready to go. He's got he brings incredible energy to the trail. I think we need a little bit of push now. We're not exactly where we want to be. We just need you know we need to keep going. So I think it's great that he's coming out and campaigning for everybody. Speaking of people coming out, uh, Aaron Haynes, uh, Liz Cheney, she's gotten to the point now where she's endorsed uh, Mich- uh, Alyssa Slotkin in Michigan, a Democrat, and she run- she's running this ad. This is the ad that's now running against Carrie Lake in Arizona by her. I don't know that I have ever voted for a Democrat, but if I lived in Arizona, I absolutely would. You have a candidate for governor, Carrie Lake. You have a candidate for secretary of state, Mark Fincham, both of whom have said that they will only honor the results of an election if they agree with it. 
What do you make of that, Erin? I think she's making good on the promise that she gave when I saw her on stage in Austin just last month at the Texas Tribune Festival. She said that she was willing to do whatever it took to keep election deniers out of office, even if that meant campaigning for or endorsing Democrats. And so uh, you see that happening with Alyssa Slotkin. You see her in in this ad uh, denouncing Carrie Lake. I'm really curious to see in these next uh, days until uh, between now and the election, who else she may do this for and where else we may see her showing up and weighing in. And speaking of the reason why she's doing that, here is a pretty wild uh, comment by Paul Gosar, sitting United States congressman, about shooting people. Take a listen. Families ranch is down in Yuma, and you know, we have illegals on our land a lot. So we've we've shot at them, and you know our Second Amendment rights to stand our ground. Um, you know, I'm worried that the Democrats are going to send me to jail. You know, if I hit one of them, mm-hmm. right? They have more rights than we do. Stay your prayer because Same. this country needs it. But there's a bunch of people that are ready to go into action. Is the bizarre nature of Republican politics, Simon, why we're seeing these kind of averages? I'm just going to put these up. Um, everyone's very excited about the New York Times Siena polling outfit. But they're showing Democrats actually up D14 in Kansas, doing well in Pennsylvania, New Mexico, Nevada. It's not the narrative the yep. media has been high and excited about, but it is the numbers. Yeah, no, those were very good polls for us yesterday. And, um, you know, that was the same polling outfit, basically, that had one bad poll for us that created the national narrative that there was a red wave. And yet this week we saw almost all of the congressional generics swinging back towards us. Some of them moved dramatically. And so I I do think that, you know, I do think we're in the hunt here. And I I just want to praise Liz Cheney for being a patriot. This is taking enormous courage, what she's doing. But she's not alone. I mean, in most of these major battleground states, there are large numbers of Republicans who are taking the courageous step of either denouncing their candidates or, or even supporting Democrats. There's an unprecedented political movement in the United States of just regular old Republicans who are fighting against the hostile takeover of their party by MAGA. And, and I think this is a much bigger issue in the election than, than we know or that it's been covered. Because think about it, even if it just shifts in these states one or two points, that could be the difference between us winning or losing the House and Senate. So it's it's a big yeah. deal. And I think all of us owe Liz Cheney a, a big uh, a big thanks. Even in Maryland, the Republican governor there has refused to yeah. endorse the the Republican nominee for yeah. uh, governor to his yeah. who would be his replacement, saying he's been, he's, he's out of his mind. Like he's, he's not fit. All right. We're going to keep yeah. Aaron and Simon uh, with us, because guess what comes after the break? You know what it is and you love it. Who won the week? That's next. Stay right there. (laughs) Well, we made it to the end of the week, as Joe Biden might say, God love us, which means it is time to play our favorite game. Yes, there's the music. Who won the week? Back with me, Aaron Haynes and Simon Rosenberg. Ladies first, Aaron Haynes, who won the week? Oh, my God, Joy, there is only one pick for me because at midnight we found out where Rihanna's new music has been hiding. It was in Wakanda. OK, the way was totally worth it. lift me up is sweet. It's maternal. It's an anthem that is totally worthy of the culture. And there's a video. Oh, thank you, Queen, for this content. I've totally had this on repeat. And if I was not already on 10 to see this movie, you can now consider me on 20. 
Oh, okay. I'm on 21 now. I cannot wait. That is that is a good answer. Simon, I'm so sorry. It's going to be so hard for you to overcome this. Uh, Simon, but you got to answer I'm anyway, because that's how the show works. I'm going to try. Who won the week? I'm going to try. <laughs> Who Joe won the Biden, week? <laughs> but Joe Biden won the week because the, the GDP numbers came in so strong this week. 10 million jobs, lowest poverty rate, lowest uninsured rate in American history, lowest unemployment rate during a peacetime economy since World War II. This guy has led us through some very tough times. We're coming out the other end of COVID, supply chains, um, you know, the war in Ukraine, and America's stronger and better because of his presidency. So to me, Joe Biden wins the week. You know what? I, I'm going to give him that. And he's also president during the time that Rihanna's new single for the Wakanda <laughs> film is going to drop yeah. for Black Panther. So he's won the week in many, many ways. But I'm going to take your 10 million, yeah. Simon, and I'm going to give you 18,383,702. That is the number of people who have voted already in yep. this country. Those 18.4 million people, in my mind, won the week. Voters, y'all went out there and you're doing what you have to do to try to save our democracy. The only thing that matters at the end of the day, the only poll that matters, we love Simon and he gives us all that good polling data, but the only thing that matters, y'all, is the vote that you make in the ballot box. Please vote. It's so important. Those voters won the week. Win it next week, y'all. Vote early. Aaron Haynes, Simon Rosenberg, you guys are great. You guys also won the week. Thank you very much. Before we go, I want to note that the Readout Roadshow is coming to Florida next week. The Readout will be live in Orlando on Wednesday. President Obama is welcome to join us. Please come and hang out with us, President Obama. My guest will be the Democratic candidate for Senate, Congresswoman Val Demings, and the man who's challenging, Ron DeSantis, former Governor Charlie Crist, and all of our friends. More details to come Y'all, that's tonight's readout. We had a really great week. Uh, thank you, Texas, once again. We had a wonderful time there, and we expect to have a good time in Florida. But Florida can't give us barbecue. I'm expected to see what kind of food they're going to give us there. We'll see. See you guys later. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.